0: You are listening to Normalized Crime, an in-depth
1: look at gang life and all the effects that come along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Normalized Crime. I'm Eric. And Berto here. And Berto, we're back with another episode. Uh, what do you got for a topic?
0: Uh, today I want to talk about, <clears throat> I guess it's a concept because I don't know how uh, literal it is, but I want to talk about blind loyalty. Before I do that, I just I want to ask you a question to think about while I'm while I'm getting into this right, and I'll and I'll come back to you. And I want to ask you: <clears throat> Have you ever been betrayed? And the reason why I bring up betrayal is because I believe that that's loyalty loyalty's counterpart. And so I think anybody who's built friendship and relationships they understand that <clears throat> to break a loyalty you have to have a betrayal, so they go hand in hand. You know, obviously betrayal never comes from an enemy. So to start it off, to create this. Um, I'll tell a story about a time I feel it kind of an example of blind law, and you can tell me what. So one time I was at a, uh, I guess it's called, it's a, it's a dope house, right? Where people sell drugs. It's not really our house, We're just there. It's most, most nine times out of ten, it's a drug dealer's. I mean, a, a drug user's house that just kind of set up shop and and deal drugs out of the house. So I was there, uh, Black Cat was there, my brother was there, Joey was there. Lawrence was there and Mando, Mando, they call him Platinum at that time. It's Mando, not Mando. It's Mando. (laughs) And so we're all here, right? This is like a normal thing. Oh, and and Fro. So we're all here, just a normal day. You know, guys are just hanging out. Some guys are playing the game, just talking and shit. And the phone rings in the house. And I believe it was Fro that answered. Goes, all right, don't worry about it. We'll be there, right? So when he hangs up, he says, yo, we got to go pick up Mondi, the actual Mondi, because the MPs are going to get him after school. And so none of us hesitated. None of us thought about it. None of us asked any question or oh, we didn't ask how many were going to be there or do they got guns, you know, any of that. And so in my mind, I believe this is pretty close to blind loyalty. You just go, just pick up what you're doing for somebody that you care about and you go, you know, to kind of veer off for a second. You know, I think about loyalty, right. And what it represents it's basically support or allegiance to someone or something. And so I believe that at this point in time, my allegiance support wasn't necessarily Tamandi. My allegiance and support was to the Latin kings. And the Latin king has, has a very important role. It's if one king moves, all kings move. And so with that being said, when it was time to go, there's never there's never a time to second guess it. There's never a time to hesitate. And so <clears throat> we all jump in the car. Like I said, me, Fro, uh, Black Cat, my brother, Joey, and Lauren. It was a big car. And uh, so we're driving. We drive up to Pulaski. School just let out. There's kids everywhere. We drive, we're driving up Oklahoma. And you know, obviously it's you now we're driving. It's gonna be hard to pinpoint where Mondi is in this sea of kids. And so also a side note, I don't know how familiar you are, but Pulaski is actually literally on the same block as the sixth district precinct. So, but that's you know, we didn't care about. It. We we're worried about <clears throat> getting Mondy and, and making sure he's okay. And so we drive, we drive, you know, we don't see nobody. So we go up one in the side street <clears throat> and Fro says, all right, listen, let's park. Let's just go see if we can find him. And so we park. And at this time we had, Black Cat had, he had a nine mil. It was like a high point. Everybody, I know I did. I thought it was a silencer. It was actually a flame reducer on the tip of it. And Lawrence had it was a Ruger, the jankiest gun. <laughs> and uh, I can bring that. We'll, we'll have a whole nother episode on. It. And so Lauren kept his gun on him but for some reason Black Cat wanted to leave his in the car and I don't know if it was because we were going to be out in broad daylight you know you know Black Cat liked to try to think a couple steps ahead so I don't know what his plan was you know I didn't really agree with it and at the time I was actually thinking like you know I'll take the gun if you don't want to take it and but Black Cat was really really one of those guys that he never hesitated either so it wasn't like there was ever a question like is he scared or anything like that that wasn't the case it was whatever his plan was that that's that's what it involved leaving the The gun in the car. So we all venture off. We start walking together. We go through a couple gangways and we pop out, pop out of a couple gangways, and then we're close to the main street, which is Oklahoma. I want to say we're on like 24th, 24th Street. And uh, as soon as we start walking the direction of the school, like obviously we can see all the kids out now, and we can see everything. Uh, There's a car that that comes creeping by us really slowly, tinted windows, and so everybody looks. You know, we kind of we look at each other and we kind of like, yo, yo, watch, you know, watch that car. And they stop at the stop sign, right? Now, Oklahoma's a busy street. So, you know, obviously I'm thinking maybe they're just waiting for cars to pass or whatever. It is. But then a guy gets out the passengers and uh, he's got, I never, he had a white hoodie on and he starts walking, you know, so we're like, what's up? You know, we start throwing up the crown. We're like, well, what's up? We're MP killer. What's going on? Like, what was, and uh, he's probably about 15, 20 feet away from us. And I remember he pulls out his gun and like, I look at Lauren right away. Cause I know Lauren's got the 22. So I look at Lauren and Lauren pulls out his gun and Black Cat's like, wait, he was like, wait wait chill out and so i kind of look at black cat now obviously he don't have his gun so there might be you know he obviously he wishes he did but at this point he doesn't he's like chill chill he's like you know don't do nothing so the 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 mp he kind of looks at us looks at us, starts backing up towards his car and he hops in the car and they take off so right away as soon as they take off we sprint towards the car back towards the car to get uh black cat's gun now Lauren, like I said, he had a 22 Ruger, but it was a six shot and it was a 22. You know, it, it wasn't going to inflict much. Black had a nine millimeter. So that's that's what we were thinking is let's go get this. Nine. And so we run to the car and we literally all hop in the car and the car is facing southbound. And so we can see going away from uh, towards like Euclid. I swear it was like a movie scene, man. Like I can still vividly picture right at the stop sign. That same car comes creeping up. They're going, I guess it would be like westbound you know, past, they're on Euclid going down. It's probably like 24, but they stop at the stop sign see us. And we're in the car, and they can see us. We're probably halfway up the block, and they are, you know, they got their windows halfway rolled down, and immediately they, you know, they screech the tires and they turn towards us. And I remember just thinking how fast this, man, it happened so fast. So everybody jumps out the car. Man, everybody jumps out the car. You don't want to be stuck in the car. Everybody jumps out the car, and they start, Probably about a quarter way down the block, they start shooting at us before they even got close to it. And so we're we're getting behind the car, we're getting behind the car. And but there's like, let me see, five or six of us. So for all of us to squeeze behind it was a big body, uh, old school, but it was to squeeze behind there was tough, right? Because this guy, they're shooting at. So me and Tim, we decide to take off behind the house. You know, we're like, come on, there's not enough room. And plus, we know that black cat and lawrence are about to basically cover us so we take off and sure enough black cat raises up lawrence raises up and they start lighting this dude up boom, boom. they take off as soon as i hear you know i hear the, the car start up we and me and tim we come back we make it out the gangway we run back to the car there's a bullet hole through the window there's a bullet hole in the side of the, in the side of the, the driver's side door so we know we just stayed in the car sometime. and so bam we jump in we drive back to the spot and uh, so I'll stop right there. I'll stop right there. There's a, there's another part of the story that is relevant. We ended up getting caught. It was a well. I'll just I'll just get into it because it was like a unlucky way we got caught. You probably would probably wouldn't even believe it. So we're we're in the we're in the uh, we're in the in the dope spot again, right? And uh, our our main area to to be was in the attic. And so we we always looked out the attic window up and down the streets just to kind of make sure we knew what was going on where we were at in the neighborhood. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know why this is another criminal folly of ours, but Fro decided to park the car in front of the house with the bullet holes in it and everything. And so as we're looking out, we're looking out, we look across because the the spot was on 17th and Beecher, Grant, 17th and Grant. And so we look across, across Beecher going towards and we see a cop, we see a cop car just posted up there. And uh, like, man, what? And he was just posted there. And we're like, ah, oh, maybe it's something with the neighborhood. You know, maybe it's something with something. We waited, we waited, we waited. Then we started getting nervous. Like, you know what, man? Like, let's all, let's split up. Let's roll out, everybody. So Black Cat's like, I'm staying here. So me, Lawrence, and Tim were like, all right, we'll go to we'll go to 23rd. Or no, we were like, you know what? We ain't going to, we'll go to uh, to Pelone's house, which was right up the block on 18th. And Fro and Joey were like, all right, we'll go to 23rd. So Fro and Joey ended up going to 23rd. Black Cat stayed there. As me, Lawrence, and Tim are walking up, Grant, we're about to turn left on 18th to go towards Ballone's house. And there's like any cop cars, right? But they're doing a raid on a house. So Lawrence has got the gun on him still. I got dope. You know, I got crack on me. I think my brother had some on him too. And so like, I literally, it's, we turn right around, right? start going back the other <laughs> way, right? This is not the right way to go. And as soon as we turn <laughs> back around, I go and I hide my dope in like a gangway you know, in like by some bushes. And Lawrence is like, I'm just going to hold the gun. We're like, all right. So we get back to 17th now, right? Where we came from and we turn uh, on 17th going north because we're like, all right, we'll go to 23rd as well then. You know, we'll go by, we'll go with Joey and Fro. We'll just meet him there. But mind you, 17th is where the cop was posted up. Mm-hmm. So this is the weirdest stroke of luck. We're walking past the front of the dope house. We had came out the back initially, so the cop didn't come out. But we're walking past the front now and simultaneously, Mando's walking down the steps and his cab, home, he had called a taxi. So we tell him, we like, yo, be careful. The cops over there. We're heading this way. You know, like we we talk to him without really turning and looking at him. Like we're just walking straight. Mm-hmm. And so get in the cab with us, get in the cab with me. I'm like, all right, yeah, I do whatever. So we jump in the cab. Lawrence is in the middle, which was a no, no. But we didn't want to like. We just got in the, in, the, in the cab as naturally to make it, as, make it look as naturally as possible. And I say that because normally, uh, I've said this before, what we always did is anybody that carried a gun always sat by the window seat. Because hmm. anything happens, you got to be able to shoot out the window, you got to be able to get out and run, anything like that. But at this time, it was like we were just trying to look normal getting into this cab which really didn't look normal anyways because we were just three kids walking on the street and all of a sudden we jump in the cab with this guy is coming out the house. I think about it and it's stupid. Anyway, so we jump in this cab and as soon as he turns to go up Grant, that cop that was sitting there waiting speeds behind us and throws his sirens. Up. And so we're like, man, it's, it's, it's over with. Lawrence and now Lawrence is in the middle. I'm on one side and Mando's on the other side and Tim's in the front seat. So Lawrence wanted to get out of Mando's side because... Bellone lived on that side of the street, you know, a couple blocks down. So he figured he'd run, get through a couple gangways, get in Ballone's house, hide. He'll be good to go. And on my side, it was like forced home. It's like busy streets. So he's like, Mando, let me out. And Mando don't want to get out. Like, nah, bro, just honor that. Just honor that. Now, Mando wasn't the king at the time. You know, like I said, Mando's a good dude. A lot of respect for him. This is the only time I ever questioned his judgment because he didn't want to let Lauren out the car. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna let you out, bro. I was like, I'm just going to open up, put my hands up. I was like, take off. As soon as I told him that, I opened up the door and I just threw my hands up in the air and Lauren takes off running. Come they grab me and they start chasing Lauren. They end up grabbing us all up, putting us in squad cars. Lauren actually got a- So here's the funny part. Lauren actually got away with the gun and hid the gun, but ended up getting caught a couple blocks later. And he forgot he had like two rocks of crack in his pocket. Ended <laughs> up getting charged for that. How crazy is it? Right. So we ended up salvaging the gun, but not but not Lawrence. He ended up getting caught and, and charged with it. So needless to say, we all went downtown. They started putting two and two together with the car and the spot. And, you know, and then when we got downtown, like we're playing hardball, obviously. Me and Tim, they put us in the back of a squad car together. And we literally made up like a three-hour alibi just sitting there. And it, like it was the dumbest thing the cops could have did, right? Like we were able to corroborate everything. And so we're down there. We're giving them this alibi, giving them this alibi. And then for some reason, Black Cat ended up admitting to the shooting. He admitted to doing it. He was actually out on bail when he he died. So I say all that to land this plane. Every one of us put our life in jeopardy. As soon as we agreed, without knowing, never questioned, never thought about it. And then ultimately, we all jeopardized going to prison because we knew what went along with it. We weren't going up there to dance battle these guys. (laughs) We were going up there to get it on in any way. If we were going to fight, we were going to fight. If we were going to shoot, we were going to shoot. Whatever whatever it came down to, more than likely, we knew it was going to be a shooting. It's just how we rolled. And so... Yeah, man, that's that's an example of blind loyalty. Any questions on that one?
1: Well, I think the first obvious question to ask is, you went there to help Mondi, right? We I never them. heard Mondi mentioned in this story. So did, yeah. did Well, did we saved guys them. those those took? Exactly, exactly. those
0: those. Sorry about that. Those MPs were there to kill Mondi. The ones that we intercepted were there to kill Mondi. So Mondi never ran into the no MPs. He got away safely. And, you know, unbeknownst to him, we eliminated the threat and uh, obviously he knew afterward but yeah so um yeah that's my fault but yeah that was the that was the the gist of that is Mondi was safe they never touched him he got away
1: so and then um you had said that i don't remember who took the phone call but basically the phone conversation was yeah we'll be right there so was that did Mondy know these people were coming after him and call for some like a backup or or was what was who was on that phone call
0: yeah that was mondy it was mondy just saying hey listen yeah it was mondy saying hey listen i got into with this mp you know they said they're gonna be waiting for me after school you know just letting us know yeah so i mean if you think about that man the dynamic of it is is vast right because obviously at the time i couldn't comprehend all the things that are at play here but now looking back like there's so many different uh, there's so many different components at play, and the fact that all of us, not one of us, all of us ignored every one of them and just said, "We're going to get this guy. We're gonna go make sure that our guy is okay." You know, to be fair, every one of us there had a good relationship with Mondi. We love Mondi, but had that been any other king, we would have done the same thing. And that's why I say my loyalty and my allegiance was more to the nation than it was to Mandi individually. And right. so, um yeah, I think that that's uh that's really really common man with a lot of people that are come in and impress and they're trying to come in and make a make a, you know, make a statement and, and sort of be noteworthy in conversation. They try to express blind loyalty literally. They try to just show that they're willing to do whatever it takes whenever it and however it takes. you now know I what I mean? I think a good
1: yeah. And now I think a good question. So in this in this story, everybody had that. Blood. Was that throughout the Kings, or were there people within your gang that you kind of knew that, yeah, when, like? And I think we've kind of talked about this before. Like when it came down to it, you know, yeah, that guy's gonna be have my back, but this guy probably not. <laughs> Was yeah, there a lot I of mean... that, or do you think for the most part in that scenario it wouldn't have mattered? The four four or whatever people that were there, they all would have just gone.
0: Yeah, I think. I think this goes back to our conversation about kind of your, the weakest link, right? I mean, but you can kind of, yeah, you can kind of see who is, you know, who's the most ready to stand on the front line and who is a little bit apprehensive and then, and then who is just not going to do it. And the problem with the people that are not going to do it at all is that you don't see that right away. You know, you, you end up seeing it later. Mm -hmm. And, and I mentioned this, you know, you, by that time it's too late. Yeah, it's a catch 22, man, because you would hope that everybody has this blind lo- And because that's what um, you profess to each other. That's the that's another weird dynamic to this is that, you know, throughout the manifesto, rarely do they mention loyalty. They talk about these virtues, you know, they are all strengthening of a man. They strengthen, you. but they don't mention loyalty a lot. Like I said yesterday, the first of the five points is love. Love honor, is love. So I think that's the conceptually, like, that's what the camaraderie does it it makes you fall in love with the group it makes you really really get to know a person and fall in love with that person and so being loyal i think is not necessarily it's not necessarily proportional to the love that you have for someone. I think that you can have a lot of loyalty and not necessarily have love for someone because of the umbrella of the Latin Kings right and i feel like i feel like that's that was my biggest shortcoming was that I allowed myself to be blinded by the propaganda and the camaraderie and all these other things and I overlooked what I really should have been
1: looking at the whole time and so more or less um, I guess kind of along that line that there were probably people within your gang that in all hindsight of it all had they not been in your gang you wouldn't even really like them but because they were part of the Latin Kings, you had this undefined loyalty to protect them in any situation. That's true. And and the same could be
0: said about me. I know that there was a lot of guys that didn't like me because of my bravado and, and my arrogance. You know, there was a lot of people that just didn't. I, I left a sour taste in them, and I know that. I was what they called an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. And so um, I definitely know that it was mutual uh, between how I felt about certain guys. So circle back. Let's circle back. Have you thought about the question? Yeah. Hit me with Have it. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been betrayed?
1: I have been betrayed, yes.
0: Okay, so my question to you then is, was it by, obviously, betrayal, was, it had to be somebody that you really cared about, right? Yeah. That makes yeah. sense, okay? And when this betrayal happened, was there rage, or was it, like, disappointment? Because there's there's levels.
1: I, I would say it's, like, I don't think I've ever had a, I'm kind of a pessimistic person, like, people that disappoint me, so I don't think I've ever gotten enraged by the betrayal. But yeah, like a disappointed, you know, let down type feeling. Like, come on. Now, like I said, first of all, um,
0: I think it's it's a good safeguard to have to be a pessimist. I would consider myself a pessimist, and I believe I do that kind of similar, kind of, kind of for the similar reasons that you do. Is is I'd rather be prepared than completely disappointed. Um, right. So, so I agree with that. Uh, and but the reason why I ask you is because I feel like on the betrayal topic. People throw that around. Betrayed everything you believed in and you're disloyal. And that's why I say they, they, they're counterparts to each other. And there is truth. I did betray what I believed in, but I betrayed the Latin kings as a whole. I didn't betray any one person. And there's a reason for that. And that's because I feel like there's a thin line between loyalty and ignorance. When you have this blind loyalty for these people because of this cause and the people let you down and expose to you how phony this cause actually is. In my mind, it wasn't a betrayal. In my mind, it was me not being ignorant.
1: Yeah. And 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 it was you stopping believing in a cause, which to a person that believes, still believes in that cause. Yeah, that's, but it's really. Right. And, and you
0: know what? I believe there's a lot of truth into it for a number of reasons. Every day, you know, obviously I'm still growing as a person. I analyze myself, the decisions. Are there still times where like, I'm conflicted about my decision? Yeah, of course. That, that's, 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 uh, I, I don't, I don't, believe that I would be the man that I am if I didn't. But when I start to lay out the facts, it makes sense. And it was a rational choice. And I believe that a lot of people, king-wise, may secretly oh. agree with me and may secretly agree with the decision I made. And they might not say it you know, outright, but the reality is that betrayal is also proportional to the level of trust that you put into someone or something. So, I feel like a lot of these people, they didn't put a lot of trust into me, you know? They didn't they didn't put a lot of trust into what I was professing. To be. They just assumed it to be true because of how I was carrying myself. So, I don't feel like it was a close-knit bond with somebody that I betrayed in my decision. And it's a hard it's it, people are people are hardwired to automatically assume that their way of thinking is 100% correct, right? I mean, that's that's right. just natural. I don't remember the last time I was wrong. I don't know about you. But <laughs> but yeah, people are, are hardwired to believe. And so it takes something like this, like what we're doing, creating conversations, trying to involve people, trying to put out a narrative. It takes stuff like this for people to actually open their ears and then open their eyes and see what I'm talking about. That doesn't mean that they're going to agree with it Verbally, it doesn't mean that they're going to come out and say it. And I don't expect them to because a lot of these guys are, they've been around, they, they got a good standing name in, in the organization, whether it be a Latin key or Cobra, whatever it is. So why would they jeopardize that? But internally, I guarantee you, people can start to decipher and pick through what I'm saying and gain what is applicable to them. And I 100% believe that a lot of gangs and gang members operate off of blind loyalty. And well, so. Nice.
1: I I would th- I would go as far as to like, don't you think that that's almost I mean, without blind loyalty, a gang can't agree. Right? Because I, I, I just, agree. I mean, that's where the power of a gang comes is by creating this false kind of cause for for somebody to.
0: Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. Especially because you know, when you come into the gang, what really do you know? You right. know, what really do you know? And and, and I, this this is another thing that goes back to the betrayal aspect is people say, well, you knew what you were getting into. Why would you betray him? Well, listen, if I would have walked into the door when I was getting ready to catch my violation as a 13-year-old and they said, hey, listen, there's a good chance that somebody in this circle right here is going to testify against you. They're going to cooperate in every crime you ever committed. Do you still want in? Also, (laughs) on top of that, if you do go to jail, one of these guys may sleep with whatever girl you're with. Are you you okay with that? You know, like, if they would have sat me down and had these kinds of conversations, I would have never been a Latin king. And there wouldn't <laughs> be any gang members that exist. But that's, the you know, obviously that's not, a, that's not a real world. You know, that's a phony world. It's a fairy tale. So 100% agree with what you're saying about conceptually all gangs is blind loyalty. Because you really don't know what you're... Right. Um, right. So and that's I got one more.
1: Power. Oh, so. for sure.
0: And, and you want to talk about power. It's crazy that you just said that. Because uh, it a perfect segue into this next this next story. And it brings back your old friend, Lil Wolf. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> uh, so at this time... Uh Jay was our Inca. And I don't know how much I told you but if I mentioned him on his podcast. I did a, you know, obviously with with Gavin, I mentioned him a bunch. So Jay was our Inca at this and Jay was the Inca when I became a kid. Well, the thing about Jay is that he was a power hungry guy and a power tripping kind of guy. He loved that aspect of the gang. He he loved to be in control. And to be fair, I believe that he was maybe sixty-five percent a good leader. Sixty-five, maybe six. I do feel like at times, he didn't know how to leave. You know, obviously, I used to catch violations. Like I told you, last, I used to catch violations for not going to school, even though I was on the run for a case. And if I went to school, I would have got locked up. So it was it was stupid, you know, stupid things like that, that he would do. So I was catching a violation. Obviously, he didn't live by a lot of the manifesto. A lot of the manifesto, he didn't live by it. But maybe I'll take it down to 50. Now I'm just thinking about him. I'm taking it down. I guess <laughs> i say he was a good leader because he looked apart. Put it like that. He looked apart, but we can get into that another day. So, anyways, it's me, Wolf, and Jay. And we're driving in his van. And at some point, I don't know if it was earlier in the week or something like that, there was like some, there were it was like a black family. And I know the the father of the household was he was he wasn't a drug addict, but he was a drug user. And the reason why I say he wasn't a drug addict is because he still had a house to live in. So he was a drug user though. And he must have asked Jay. If Jay wanted to buy this set of rims for his van, there were like some spokes, 15 inch spokes, uh, nothing, nothing crazy. But, you know, they were decent looking. And Jay's like, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. But the whole time Jay had a plan. We were his plan. Wolf and I. I remember we're driving. We're down the block. He goes, listen, we're going to pull up to this house right here uh, and you guys are going to go in there and just take the rims from me. Take the rims and bring them in. I'll wait right here. now when something like that happens. Right. I'm a fool. This is my when something like that happens. You don't really don't have a choice. Um, This was one of the rare instances. I will say that I was actually I felt like I was forced to do something. You know, I was younger. But for the most part, a lot of the stupid things that I did were my own creation. And so this was one time where I was like, man, it's an order. Like, what if I tell him? No. Will I look scared if I tell him no. Or is it disobeying an order or like so it was a bunch of things that I thought about. But like I said, I never hesitate. So I said, okay, I raised my hand, I'll go. And the <laughs> funny part, I had a gun on me. I had a, a I think I had like a nine on me. I I, I don't even know where I, I I I told this other story at. But Wolf had a gun on him as well, but it didn't have no clip in it. <laughs> it was a gun that he bought. He didn't have no clip, and I think he had one bullet in the chamber. Beyond, I think I, I remember I, 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 you telling this story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was something. Yeah, I, I don't know why he had it. But anyways, <laughs> still couldn't find a clip. And so we're like, all right, let's go. No mass. Like, these, you know, no mass, No, not. It's broad daylight. His house was literally on the corner. I want to say it was like right on the corner. Like, you know, no cover. No, no, no plan. Let's just knock on the door and run in this guy's house. What a genius. So anyways, <laughs> that's exactly what we did. We literally knocked on the door. He opened up the door and he recognized them. He definitely recognized Wolf because you know he used to come to the dope spot, one of the other dope spots. And so he immediately recognizes us and opens up the screen, ready to let us in. Hey, how you doing? You want some coffee? And Wolf pulls out his gun. And Wolf's like, and I'm just behind Wolf. I got my gun in my hand. And I really didn't. I I wasn't coming in like guns a blazing, like my like you know in a pistol stance, holding my gun out because I knew like this is a this is this guy's family house. You know, like he's a he's a drug addict. He's probably got you know, a girlfriend or wife and maybe even a kid in here. Like it's not going to be some, you know, fortress with a bunch of rival gang members here. I wasn't, wasn't thinking like it. So anyway, so Wolf put the gun to him. Oh, what you need? Like, yo, give me the rims. You can have them. And we walked in the house. Wolf gave me, I have my gun in my hand. Wolf gave me his gun with no clip. I put it in my other hand and then Wolf just wheeled the tires out you know, to the van. And then we took off. We we get out of there. And re- and I well, tell that story, man, because easy. yeah, it was you know. super easy. It was super, there was no twists and turns, but I tell that story because I feel like it's another version, you know, and it wasn't a example of blind lo- of my loyalty to Jay because I second questioned it. You know, I second guessed it in the first place in my mind, but it was blind organization and understand
1: this is us. If this yeah, is what's yeah. asked of me, then I should do it. Yeah. And he was, he was the top guy. So, so what he said, had to go I guess.
0: Yeah. And he was that kind of guy. You know what I mean? He was he wanted to beat his chest, you know. I got sovereignty over this chapter. He was like one of them, you know. He wanted this this recognition. It was funny though as as we got older to kind of veer off on this one. As we got older, that that lessened because I think he's seen how do you how do you try to emphasize that you're this guy and you're this killer, but you're talking to the actual killers, you know, <laughs> me and my brother and two and the guys that were really in the street. And so I think he started to, you know, backpedal a little bit on that on that persona that he carried and he humbled himself. But uh, yeah, that was the that was him. He he looked apart for sure. Any questions on that one?
1: I got a lot of questions about Jay. Kind of okay, off subject, ahead. but I but because we've never talked about Jay, I just want to hear. So. You kind of talk about how he was power hungry, which, yeah. and when you talked about with when you and Mondi became the Kasinka and whatever what's the other one, he was uh, the Inca. Mondi was Inca, the Inca and Kissinga, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. So when you guys were in charge, you kind of talked about how it was more like a family thing. Like you weren't really you weren't in charge, but not really forcefully in charge. It was more of a a group type thing, right? Do I have right. that right? So yeah, it sounds sure. to me like with Jay. Jay is going to be the kind of guy that probably sat back at the house and barked out orders. Everybody went and he just like report back to me with what happened. Is that kind of how Jay was or? That's a hundred percent how he was. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
0: (laughs) Jay was, he, he wasn't a pussy, right? Like, and that's why he had the position that he did because he did, he demanded respect as an individual. He demanded respect. You know, like I said, he looked apart. He had a teardrop. He's got King Jay on his neck um, he's got crowns all over. So he looked apart and he demanded respect. And that works when you're a kid. When I was a kid that worked, you know, I was, I was in awe like, Oh my God, like this guy is really somebody. And then, and then you start getting older and you start realizing this dude wasn't doing nothing. <laughs> like I'm being like this guy. I, I think I, I think I seen him shoot a gun one time, one time. I, and uh, yeah, so he was not by any, a street guy in the street. Like, it was just, I feel like now, looking back, I feel like it was more about the, it was more about the, the fame, you know, the the popularity aspect of it. Because, you know, this is a guy who was basically hanging around Latin Kings since he was nine years old. I'll give him that. And, you know, so he knew a lot of Latin Kings, a lot of Latin knew him. And he had a name. The reason why I say he had a name, Jay got indicted with us. And um, Jay was one of the guys that used to write me in the beginning when we were all planning on going to trial and say, you know, I'm looking forward to see you at the end of the table when we go to trial, you know, like all these obviously he would shower me, you know, with with praise and, and affirmations because he seen what I was charged with, what we were charged with, and he knew the kind of destruction we were causing. So you know, I, I remember having a uh I remember having sent a letter to him and telling him, you know, this is before I even cooperate. And I remember telling him, you know, Jay, you know, I always have respect for you. But to be honest with you, it's really easy for you. And other guys to try to dictate which route I take in this. When your max is 10 years, your max is, is, you know, way lower it's than my less minimum. less than your minimum. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's exactly, exactly. What. And so I told him, I told him, I said, Jay, listen, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's unfair for you to not only request that, but almost demand that, you know, it was like insinuating, like, I'll see you there. Kind of. So anyways, Jay ended up pleading out and he didn't go to trial. It was all t- macho. But the reason why I say he had a reputation because Jay ended up getting out and, you know, he had some state to federal time and he got out way before I did. And he ended up getting out and uh, this genius decided to get involved in selling drugs and, and he got indicted again with criminal history and the fact that he was already indicted. I mean, his offense level and, and criminal history, like I said, put him basically at 30 years of life. And the fact that he was um, convicted of selling drugs the first time, and this is another drug case. They got what they call an eight fifty one law in the feds, and he's lucky that that first step act changed this law because the under the under the, before the first step act came, the eight fifty one law was basically if you caught a reoccurring offense, which is a drug offense, and then drug offense, it was a mandatory twenty five year sentence. If you caught two A51s, which means a drug case, drug case, drug case, it's mandatory life. They changed that law and they turned it into the first uh A50 is a mandatory 15 years. And I believe the second one is 25. Uh so he's in a lot either of hot way, water.
1: Either. Yeah, either way, yeah. he's he's not coming yeah. out of jail for some time.
0: And then and then to add injury to insult, this iconic figure that used to be 19th Street, um, the rumor is, is that he's cooperating. And so you know, you think about it, man. What a waste of a life. I mean, he's he's about he's probably about three. He's probably about four years older than me. And from nine years old all the way until, you know, just recent. I think they got indicted in 18, 2008. He's been this diehard Latin king. And now you did all that. And now you cooperate like you did all that. You talked all this mess about the guys that cooperate on the indictment, the last indictment and and just uh, cooperator bashing, I guess is what it is. And then look, now you're in a situation and you're trying to say, which I don't, I don't judge him. You know, I I don't, I don't look at, I don't look at him like, dang, he's bogus. I understand. I don't understand why he put himself in that position in the first place, but I understand once he's there, now he's got to make a decision. And, you know, to go down that wormhole a little farther, if you want to really pick it apart, you know, he wasn't exactly cooperated on by the people that he held in high you know, in high regards, he was cooperated on by drug dealers. He was selling, to. and so whose fault is that? And that's his. So if you okay. want to compare situations, I was cooperating by a bunch by by I was cooperated on by a bunch of people that I thought loved me. Uh, that yeah. doesn't make me any better or or him any worse. But I just think it's it's relevant because this is the kind of stigma that's created in society in every community. The stigma that you must hate people that do this and love people that do this. And what I mean by that is you hate people that cooperate and you love people that stand up, but them same people that you love that stand up, you do nothing for, because them guys are rotten in prison for the rest of their life. You know, it's just a, it's a, it's a sad stigma that is, is tossed around and is almost glorified. And so, yeah, it's, that's, that's what I got. Whew.
1: So I think, and, and I really like how the two stories you told are, are they kind of, they're both great examples of blind lawyers. But I think they're also very different stories because, you know, your first story, I can relate to because your friend was in trouble. So I get that where where I could say, like, I could understand why you were. But this second story was just somebody that had power over, you know, influencing that power to get something they wanted. Which is, and I'm understanding of the first one, but the se- second one, and I mean, in my opinion, and I'm sure that, I'm sure... Obviously this probably happens all the time with us, but that right there is an example of why that can never even so. And there's, there's, there's
0: countless examples. You know? There's countless. And not maybe not necessarily with me. And, and maybe that's a testament to who I ended up becoming in the street, but to people that allowed it to happen, it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is, it's sad, man. It's sad because, you know, I look at it now. I was a 14 year old kid, you know, and, and you sent me in there to die. Yeah. You don't know what's on the other side of that door.
1: And, you don't and know he if sent you that, in if, there if, for tyrant. I mean. exactly.
0: Right, and and you know I can I can I can be um, objective and make assumptions as well about what I thought was going on in the house about this guy being a family and being a drug user, just like I did during the story. But the reality is, what if it wasn't that way?
1: Exactly. You know?
0: What if what if what if there was a fortress of gang member that were riding with this guy?
1: Right. You and, just sent me in there to die. Yeah. We're wolf. And,
0: Who's got one bullet (laughs) with with his
1: (laughs) one bullet in no clip. (laughs) And in that situation, like this was an example where he wanted a drug dealers or not even a drug dealer, but a drug addicts, uh, tire rims. Well, what would have happened if the next time he wanted a gang member, you know, tire rims, it it just, it could have been a terrible situation. And yeah, he literally took advantage of, and, and that's really sad, (laughs) but it did. So
0: and, and what you know to be fair, Wolf did it too, but uh, we both know you don't even know Wolf, but we both know wolf ain't all there, you know yeah. <laughs> that's one, and two, Wolf is actually his cousin, and and I mentioned this in my story when I, about when I went to Wales for the case with Wolf, Jay was with wolf in Fox Lake, and they did nothing to him. Jay and Boy are both there when he did nothing to him, and so you know maybe that had something to you know if they were cousins, whatever I'll do with my cousin, and getting good standing. I don't know.
1: All right, well, I don't have any other questions. Do you got anything else you want to add? No,
0: I think we're good, man. We're good. Uh, I think I laid it out pretty well. Their own conclusions about within again, and also betrayal
1: and the difference, and then obviously what spectrum, what side of the... Cool, all right. Then we will wrap this episode up. As always, please, if you enjoy this podcast, review on your favorite podcast, and you can reach out to us at normalizedcrime at com. And, Berto, do you have a topic? For-
0: yeah, I do, actually. So I was thinking we take a little trip, and i'll take you on a trip to the indian reservation which is which ended up becoming the best place to sell crack cocaine (laughs) in the early 2000s and we can talk about that
1: that sounds really interesting so everybody hang tight and we'll be back next week with that episode and thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week peace thanks for tuning in to normalized crime stay tuned for the next episode